It's a joy to be able to lead you this morning in opening up God's Word. It's the second Sunday of 2023, and for many of us, the past few weeks have been a bit of a slower pace as we've celebrated Christmas and New Year's, and now life is starting to get back to normal again. We're getting back into the routine of things. Tomorrow, many of our kids and younger members are going back to school again. There'll be lunches to pack and after-school activities starting up again, clubs, different activities. The calendar is starting to get full. We live in a culture that values a full calendar. People who seem to be juggling it all, doing more than humanly possible, are admired. We are surrounded by messages that, that tell us that more is better that warn us that that if we say no to this opportunity, this product, this invitation, that we may just regret that for the rest of our lives. And so driven by this fear of missing out, we add activity after activity, commitment after commitment, responsibility after responsibility, until life can easily become full of so much, so many good things. And burnout can be far too common as people get stretched thin and exhausted. The Bible has something to say, a countercultural message for a world addicted to busyness. God speaks through the years as he gives a timeless message and a timeless gift to people, the gift of rest. In just a minute, we're going to open up the Bible and we're going to read about that gift. But first, let's come before God in a prayer. Faithful God, we thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. As we open up the Bible today and read from it, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts. Help us to understand what you want to say to us today. Give us wisdom to apply your word to our daily lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Today we're going to be reading a number of different passages that talk about the Sabbath, the practice of setting aside one day out of seven as a holy day, a set-aside day for worship and for rest. The first one we'll look at is from the book of Exodus, chapter 20. At this point in the, in the story of the Bible, the people of Israel has just been rescued from slavery in Egypt. We sang about earlier in this service. God parted the Red Sea, they came out, and now they're in the wilderness, beginning their journey through the wilderness to the promised land. And at this point, God makes a covenant with them. He defines a special relationship that he will be their God and they will be his people. And as part of this covenant, he gives them very detailed instructions on how they are to live as his people. Included in these instructions is a set of instructions that we often refer to as the Ten Commandments. And so the first bit that we're going to read about the Sabbath comes from the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Verses 8 through 11 say this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall do all your labor and all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. 
Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Resting one day out of seven must have seemed strange to the people of Israel at the time. They'd only just recently been rescued from slavery after all. Back in Egypt, their entire value and worth had been defined by what they could produce, what they could, could make. The Egyptians had worked them ruthlessly with harsh labor and in bricks and mortar and in the fields as they worked to, to build these Egyptian cities. Now, the God who has rescued them isn't asking them to work harder for him. Instead, he's asking them to do something strange, to rest one day out of seven. In this command, God is giving his people an identity-forming habit that will remind them week after week that they have value beyond what they can produce. They're not machines. They're not slaves. They are human beings made in the image of God himself. And just as God rested after creating the world, taking time to delight and enjoy and celebrate all that was good in his creation, so too are his image bearers called to rest. Life is about more than producing, creating, working, crafting, designing, building. Those are good parts of life. But life is also about taking time to step back, to enjoy, to rest, to play, to take time to, to discover, wonder, marvel, and delight at all that is good in the world. God gives his people the gift of time and space to do this. The seventh day will be special for the people of Israel, a day of rest, a day to remember the God who created it all, to give him thanks and praise. It's also a day to remember what God has done for them, that he is their rescuer. The next passage that we'll take a look at is from the book of Deuteronomy. Here, the Ten Commandments are repeated again, but it's 40 years later from when they were first given. Now, the people of Israel have journeyed through the wilderness for 40 years and are about to enter the promised land. God is renewing his covenant now with the next generation, those who were not even born, perhaps, when he first brought the people out of Israel. As I read Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 to 15, notice the similarities and the differences that are there between this passage and the one we just looked at in Exodus. Deuteronomy 5 says this, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall do all your labor and all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox or your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. God reminds the next generation of, of who they are, of who he is, and of who they're called to be. The same practice that reminded their parents that they have value beyond what they can produce will remind the next generation that it is God who is their rescuer. God is the one who has brought them here and who will bring them into the land. Week after week, as they practice Sabbath, they will remember God's faithfulness in the past 
and find strength, courage, and hope as they face whatever challenges are before them in the future. Notice also that both Exodus and Deuteronomy have a communal aspect to this command. They're not just about individuals practicing this rest. They're about the community practicing rest together. Exodus contains quite the list of who's all to be included in this rest. And Deuteronomy just expands that list. It's you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your ox, your donkey, and and all of your animals. Even the foreigner who's within your gates is to have rest. Rest is a gift that, that God wants everyone to be able to experience, especially those who are on the margins and could easily be overlooked or taken advantage of and and made to work nonstop. God wants to make sure that they all have that opportunity to rest. Unfortunately, over the years, what was meant to be a gift to God's people has often become shifted and turned into a legalistic burden. Complex systems and rules have developed as people try to figure out how to live into this command and apply it to their lives. In many instances, Sabbath has ceased to be about creating space to to remember, to celebrate, to worship God. And instead, it's become about making sure not to do this, not to do that, not to do the other thing, out of fear of, of judgment that others will look down on you for doing that, or that God himself will punish you if, if you do that, and that might be work, and is that work or is that not work, and all these questions, and it becomes legalistic. Growing up, I, I read the Little House on the Prairie books by Laura Ingalls Wilder, and in one of the books, Laura talks about Sunday, the day in which her community practiced Sabbath. On Sundays, Laura is not allowed to play or run or shout or be noisy. She can't sew or knit. She can look at her paper dolls, but she's not allowed to make any new clothes for them. And all she can do is sit quietly, listen to Bible stories, look at pictures, or hold her dolls nicely and talk to them. One Sunday after supper, Laura can't handle it anymore. She starts playing with the dog, and and before she knows it, she's running and shouting, Pa tells her to be quiet and to sit in her chair. When she sits down, she begins to cry. I hate Sundays. There are so many rules and constraints that the practice of Sabbath is oppressive. That's a little bit like what Sabbath keeping had become like by the time of Jesus. A day filled with rules and and regulations and constraints. Do this. Don't do this. Do it like this. Don't do it like that. There are very detailed rules at the time about precisely what's allowed and what's not allowed. How far you can travel, how much you can carry. In their desire to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, the teachers of the law had developed and led the community into legalism. And in the the process, lost the heart behind God's law. Jesus challenges the Sabbath rules of his time. Let me share a story from the book of Mark that illustrates this. Chapter 2, verses 23 through Mark, chapter 3, verse 5. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, said to him, 
Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he was going to heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To give life, to do good, or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. As Jesus pushed the boundaries, he pokes holes in the carefully formulated laws of the time. In doing so, he points back to the heart of the law, the reason behind the rules. Sabbath was made for man, a gift, not man for the Sabbath. The early church planter and leader, Paul, also warns against a legalistic approach to keeping the Sabbath. Though Paul himself was once a teacher of religious law, he recognizes the danger in attempting to perfectly live out God's law in order to gain salvation or God's favor or anything like that. He writes in Colossians 2, verses 16 to 17, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The reality is found in Christ. Paul recognizes that, that many of the laws and instructions that God gave his people in the books of Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy actually point towards Jesus Christ and are fulfilled in him. In Sabbath, God invites his people to remember again the goodness of original creation. Through Christ, God is making a way for that goodness to be redeemed and restored. In Sabbath, God is also reminding the people to remember how he's rescued them and delivered them from Egypt. This points us forward to, to God's ultimate rescue plan through Jesus Christ. That God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Through Jesus, God makes a new covenant with his people again. Because of what Jesus has done, we don't have to earn our salvation by trying to keep a bunch of rules and getting it all right. We can rest in the confidence of knowing that we are forgiven and given new life, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. In contrast to the heavy yoke of religious legalism, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Under the new covenant in Christ, we are no longer bound by many of the ceremonial laws given in the Old Testament. We no longer need to practice Sabbath in the same way that it was required back then from sundown on Friday night until sundown on Saturday night. We take both Jesus and Paul's warning to heart as we recognize the temptation there can be to fall into a legalism trap, and we work to resist that. That being said, we do continue to value the practice of setting aside one day of the week as special, a day for us to gather as a community to worship, a day to remember what God has done, a day that is special, that's holy to God. In the New Testament times, the the early church began to gather and meet not on the seventh day, but on the first day of the week, on Sunday. Because Sunday was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So week after week, as the church gathers on Sunday, we remember again that first Easter Sunday and the good news that Christ is risen, that death is not the end. As it did for the people of Israel, setting aside one day of the week as a special day of remembrance, worship, and rest has the power to continue to shape our identity. It continues to remind us that that we have value beyond what we can produce, that God is our rescuer, that he is faithful, and that we can trust him with our lives and with our future. I've experienced this in my own life. My experience of Sunday growing up was very different than that of Laura Ingalls Wilder. Like Laura's family, my family set aside Sunday as a special day of worship and rest. But we had a lot fewer rules about it. For us, resting didn't mean not being able to do anything fun. On the contrary, the things that were allowed, that were not allowed on Sundays were the unfun things. On Sundays, there was no homework. There was no chores. There were no errands. Instead, on Sundays, we got to see our friends. We would go to church to worship. After church, we'd often go over to a friend's house or have a friend over and enjoy that time together. On Sundays, we would have special snacks and foods that would come out of the cupboard that we wouldn't have just any other day of the week because Sunday was a special day. Sunday, as a child, were my favorite days of the week. Over the years, setting aside a day to rest has continued to be an important practice in my own life of faith. What it's looked like has changed over the years. It's shifted as to what particular day it was and things like that. About 10 years ago, I wrote a journal entry sharing a bit of the impact that having a weekly Sabbath has had on my life. So I want to share a little bit of that with you today. I wrote... Some people say that dreaming is a way that your mind processes everything while you sleep. You go back over the events of the day and make sense of them while you rest. I think I do the same on this day, Sabbath. I invite myself to reflect, to lean into the experiences of the week, to savor the richness of memory, to enjoy, to process, to get the big picture, to be intentional about being. And in doing so, I enter into prayer, that that holy place where I place my life before God. 
All the confusion and hurry and bustle, the endless to-do lists, the feelings of inadequacy, the need to achieve, the rushing forward, I put all of that on pause. I fast from my worry, I fast from the problems I can't control and those I can control. I step back and I acknowledge my limitations. I put it all down and I take time to sit at the feet of my maker, to rest in his abundant provision, to remember my place in his story, to see all the setbacks and all the failures and the things to do in their proper place, and to remember who I am and whose I am. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That is who I am. I am reminded of my identity over and above all the other voices that might tell me otherwise. And today, today there is such peace. When I rest, I remember that God is in control and I am not. When I rest, I remember that I am more than a producing machine. When I rest, I am reminded of everything that is good in life. The goodness of being human is affirmed. Sabbath, time and space to delight in the small things of life, to remember the relationships that really matter, to look to the future with excitement, to surrender the worry and the care, to write notes and put them in the mailbox, to put a quiche in the oven, to spend time learning jazz piano just for fun, to make scones while having a dance party just because I'm happy to be alive, to sit and listen to the music of the wind in the trees and the birds singing to each other, to delight in the God who gives so many good gifts. Sabbath. Perhaps your own experience of Sabbath has been like mine and has been a positive one. Perhaps it's been more like Laura Ingalls Wilder and you had a terrible experience of it and it's really turned you off from the idea of setting aside a day of the week to rest. Or perhaps it's something that's completely foreign and a new concept to you. Regardless of your past experience, I want to challenge you this year in 2023 to consider how God might be inviting you to receive his gift of rest in a deeper and fuller way. Jesus himself often withdrew from the busyness of his ministry to be with God, his Father. Do you have time to regularly spend time with God in your own life? If not, how might you build rhythms of rest and renewal into your year this year? What responsibilities, commitments, goals, or dreams might you say, need to say no to for a season in order to create that space? Or on the flip side, what might God be inviting you to say yes to in order to grow in your faith in the coming year? And as we consider the communal nature of the Sabbath, that applies not just to individuals, but to a community. I think there's also a challenge here for us as a community. How do we cultivate a community marked not by franticness and burnout, but by a spirit of rest and trust? Do we have eyes open for those who may be burning out around us or struggling? If we see that coworkers, friends, family members, or employees are not getting the rest they need, are there changes that we can advocate for in our own communities, in our own workplaces? Are there roles or timelines that can be adjusted, responsibilities that can be shifted, projects that could be dropped or delayed? 
additional supports that could be added? How can we pay special attention to ensuring that, that those who are on the margins feel that they, and those who feel that perhaps they cannot afford to take a day off, also have the time to be renewed and refreshed? There's a lot to consider, a lot to ponder. At the end of the day, we remember that Sabbath was a gift made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And we ponder, how might we receive this gift that God created for us and has given us in this coming year? Let's consider it in the coming weeks as we ask for God's leading and guiding in this and in every area of our lives. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We come to you with all the burdens we carry with us. Burdens of worry and care. Burdens of expectations and pressures we've put on ourselves or that we feel placed on us by those around us. Burdens of responsibility that feel too heavy. We ask for your rest. Give us wisdom in the daily decisions we make around how to spend our time, what to say yes to, what to say no to. Direct us to life-giving patterns of working and resting so that we have margin in our lives, space and time and energy to hear from you and to act on the promptings of your Holy Spirit. Give us strength to do that which you've called us to, the courage to make changes in our lives when needed, and the trust we need to let go of the familiar and step out in faith into the unknown. Thank you that it's not up to us to earn or achieve our salvation or to live out your teachings on our own strength. Thank you that it's through your death and resurrection that we are able to experience rest in this life and eternal rest in the life to come. Amen. <laughs>